Well, I guess I did make an appearance in that video, didn't I? I wanted to be in it anyways, and Pastor Chris said that I had a face more fitting for radio. I don't really know uh, what that means, but anyways, good morning, everyone. You know, we are truly excited about uh, Celebrate Recovery moving. We, uh, we believe God is going to work in even greater ways at this new location. He's going to change more lives. He's going to bring healing to more people. He's going to restore more relationships because that's what happens in Celebrate Recovery. And that's why it's in 35,000 churches throughout the world because it works. Now, the only problem with Celebrate Recovery is that word recovery. It can be a little misleading at times for people, and it often brings confusion. It's like the gentleman named Bubba who walked up to the pastor. And he said, Pastor, I need you to pray for my hearing. So the pastor, he put his hands over Bubba's ears, and he prayed. He prayed a powerful prayer. He prayed a spirit-filled prayer. And when he was done, he asked Bubba. He said, Bubba, how's your hearing? And Bubba said, I don't know. It ain't till next Tuesday. <laughs> See, sometimes we can be a little misled. And a lot of people have this idea that Celebrate Recovery is all about addiction. And this could not be further from the truth. It is for hurts, hang-ups, and habits. I mean, sure, it's for those struggling with alcohol and drugs, absolutely. But it's also for those struggling with food and gambling and divorce, which statistics show is about half of us. It's also for those who struggle with anger, which I bet contributes to the divorce rate as much as addictions. It's for the struggle against lust. It's for that person who battles depression it's for the one who struggles with self-worth. It's for the person that has a tough time saying no. And they're spending their life being controlled by what everyone else wants instead of their own needs. They're always focusing on everyone else's happiness instead of their own. You see, Celebrate Recovery is for everyone because every one of us have hurts, we have hang-ups, and we have habits. Now, the reason that this program works like it does is because it's based on the actual words of Jesus Christ. It's taken from His most famous sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And He began this sermon by giving us the Beatitudes. Now, Beatitude is Latin, meaning happy or blessed. So, a Beatitude is a declaration of a blessing. And Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount by giving us eight Beatitudes, eight ways to be blessed, eight ways to finding happiness. And the eight principles of Celebrate Recovery are not only based on these Beatitudes, but they follow almost the exact order that Jesus speaks them. So we are going to go through these Beatitudes and these principles this morning. I'm going to teach them the order, the steps that you go. I have an acrostic we're going to be using. It is the word recovery. I have a group of friends that will be coming up and glorifying God today by sharing how a certain principle was instrumental in changing their life. 
Because you see at CR, we believe if you want someone to see what Christ can do for them, you let them see what Christ has done for you. So we're going to get started. Matthew 5, verse 3. Jesus gives us our very first beatitude. He says, Happy are those who know that they are spiritually poor. Know that Jesus isn't talking about physical poverty here. He's talking about spiritual poverty. He's talking about spiritually being broke. Spiritually being at the end of your means. Being in a place where you realize you need help. You realize you have a need for a Savior. Now, principle one of Celebrate Recovery that's based on this beatitude is realize I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. This is where it all starts. Principle one's the beginning. This is where you admit that you have a struggle in your life. You're humbling yourself. See, Jesus is saying you have to be at a point where you get tired of what you're doing. You get tired of doing the same things that are hurting you and you're ready for change. You say, you know what, I don't want to be a slave to that bottle anymore. I don't want to be a slave to those images on the computer screen or food or drug or that feeling of hopelessness or that feeling of depression. See, that's where you're finally poor in spirit. And that's when you're in a position for God to start shaping you, for God to start changing you. That's when recovery begins. Next, in Matthew 5, verse 4, Jesus gives us our next beatitude. He says, Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, we think of mourning in the passing of someone. It's healthy. It's natural to mourn the loss of someone that we love. That leads to comfort. Now, the definition of mourn is to feel or show deep sorrow or regret. You know, there are things that all of us have done in our lives that have caused sorrow and have caused regret. There may be things you're doing right now that's causing sorrow and regret, that's causing problems in your marriage, causing problems in your relationship with other people, that's causing problems with your health or your finances. And Jesus is saying we have to mourn. We have to have sorrow in our hearts over the sin in our lives because that's what's going to lead you to change. You see, principle one was admitting that we need help. We're in need of a higher power. Now, principle two is about believing that this higher power can change our situation. So principle two, based on Beatitude 2, is earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that He has the power to help me recover. You see, what sets Celebrate Recovery apart from other recovery programs is we have a name for our higher power. It's Jesus Christ. And this may sound crazy, but hear me out here. Even if someone doesn't have a personal relationship with them, they can still believe that He has the power to help them. 
I mean, non-Christians pray at times. Non-believers cry out to God at times. And when you've tried everything else and nothing else is working and everyone else is saying, hey, this worked for me, this worked for me, this will work for you, you start to believe that it might. And you start thinking, you know, I don't know him, but I'm willing to give him a try. I have a Fender Stratocaster. It's a great guitar. I played it here a few weeks ago. I should have used it as my first beatitude because I was poor after I bought it and it has brought me much happiness. But anyway, I had a problem with it one time. So I took it to a place in town where I usually take stuff and they said, we can't fix it. We're afraid we would damage it. I said, well, who can? And they said, there's an authorized fender dealer in Crawfordsville that can fix it. I said, yeah, I'm not driving all the way to Crawfordsville. So I took it to one of the bigger music centers in town, and they said, we can't fix it. I said, who can? They said, there's a guy in Crawfordsville that can. (laughs) Well, I didn't know this guy in Crawfordsville, but I became convinced that he was going to be able to help me. And I drove there, and he fixed my guitar. You see, principle two is all about believing that God has the power to change your situation. It's just about giving Him a chance to give you something that you're seeking by other methods. Will you welcome my first guest to the stage, Sheila? Hello. Hello. My name is Sheila, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm in recovery from childhood sexual abuse. I came to celebrate recovery out of desperation. I was willing to try something new to fix my broken life. The abuse that I had suffered throughout my childhood had left me unable to form healthy relationships as an adult. I was paralyzed with fear, and I was prone to panic attacks and I had trust and abandonment issues. Change for me began when I started to believe that God had a purpose for my life and that I mattered to him and that he had the power to help me recover from my past and break those chains. Through Celebrate Recovery, God has shown me that guilt and shame were never mine to own and that I matter to him. I am now learning to create healthy habits that are not driven from impulse. In CR, I have a caring place to come every week where I can continue to heal in community with others and grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in my life. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sheila. You know, when Sheila first started uh, coming to CR, she was quiet. She was really quiet. She kept her head down. She would barely even look me in the eyes. And as she began working this program, there was something that was beginning to change about her. There was this certain quality that was showing, a quality that Jesus touches on in our next beatitude in Matthew 5.5. Jesus says, happy are the meek. 
Now, for some reason, and I guess because it rhymes, but meekness is often associated with weakness. And that's not accurate at all. Two of the greatest people in the Bible possess this quality. Numbers 12.3 says, Moses was very meek. Matthew 11.29, Jesus said, I am meek. You see, meekness is power under control. It means to submit. So one day after Celebrate Recovery, I'm getting ready to eat because we always end with food and fellowship. And Sheila comes up to me and she asks me if she can talk to me. She says she's ready to accept Christ. So I prayed with her and she gave her life to Jesus. A couple months ago she got baptized, which is another sign of meekness. And lately she has been traveling to other Celebrate Recoveries and giving her full testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in her life. Amen. You see, being meek has nothing to do with weakness. In fact, it's just the opposite. Meekness is a sign of strength. It requires great control to submit to others, to commit to others. And that's principle three, is consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. The C is consciously. You consciously choose, which means you have to make a choice. And you only have two choices. It's like my mom would say, Chuck, can I make you some dinner? I'd say, what are my choices? She'd say, yes or no. (laughs) Do you know that putting off the decision to accept Christ is making a decision not to accept Christ? You've made a choice. And it is choice, not chance, that determines your destiny. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your lips Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This leads into Matthew 5 verse 8 where Jesus gives us our next beatitude. He says, Happy are the pure in heart. You see, to be pure in heart is to have a heart that's committed to God. You've made that commitment. You're devoted entirely to God. Meaning you place nothing above Him. Matthew 22, verse 37 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That means more than money. More than relationships more than possessions, more than whatever it is that's, that you're reaching out for that you think's bringing you this satisfaction, the things that you're doing, that you're longing for. See, God doesn't want you to pursue those things as a basis for your happiness anymore. As in our hearts, as He becomes greater, all these other things got to become smaller. And it starts to become evident at this point in the choices that you start making. It begins to reflect in the way that you start looking at other people. It begins to reflect in the way that you start looking at yourself. And more importantly, you start looking inside yourself. Principle four, based on that beatitude, is openly examine and confess my faults 
to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. See, this is where things start to get a little tougher. It's not just some smooth, easy ride. This is why this principle follows the decision to give your life to Christ because you need His strength for this. It's the key to freedom. And we focus on this one principle for three months out of the year. And openly means honestly. That's all that means. There was no H in recovery. It would have screwed my acrostic up. It's taking an honest look at yourself where you're not justifying your actions anymore. You're not justifying the things you're doing. You're not rationalizing stuff. We all have a way, and it's crazy, but we have a way of rationalizing things. Well, donuts can't be all that bad for you because they're holy. You honestly examine your life. You see where you've slipped up. You look back on things. You see where you've made big mistakes. You see where you're still continuing to make mistakes. You write down where you've fallen short and where you've missed the mark. See, that's the first part of that. That's confessing it to you. That's making it real. That's bringing everything out into the open all of a sudden. Next, you confess it to God. Does God already know? Yes. But that's part of the process of of this pure heart that I'm talking about. You're specifically asking for forgiveness for things that are crucial for your recovery. Last part, which may be the hardest, is you confess it to someone else. In James 5.16, it says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Not so you will be forgiven, You were forgiven when you confessed it to God. Healing begins when you confess it to someone else. That stuff loses its power. It loses its hold on you when you confess it. Would you welcome Tom to the stage? Twelve steps. That's how many steps it is from off stage to this point. My name is Tom. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. And I struggle with perfection. I have VOCD. I'm very OCD. I live with lists. I list everything. I count everything. I number everything. You will never meet my expectations. But that's okay because I don't meet my own expectations. In principle four, God showed me why I am the way I am. The things in my childhood and my life that were instrumental in making me act and think the way I do. Celebrate Recovery has made, helped me realize that I don't have to be perfect. I serve a perfect God, a God whose grace is great enough to cover all my imperfections. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Isaiah 26, 3, that says, You will keep in perfect peace. I love that part right there. Perfect peace. Wow. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. 
all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Tom. Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus gives us our next blessing. He says, Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. So what does that mean? What does God require? The answer is found in the Old Testament. There was a prophet named Micah. And in Micah 6, verse 8, he says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So Jesus is saying, this needs to be our desire. We need to act in these ways. We need to, as another translation puts it, thirst and hunger for righteousness. We need to thirst and hunger to live according to God's will instead of the world's. You know, contrary to popular belief, And contrary to what the world may tell you, sin will never bring you happiness. It will never bring you happiness. Now, you may get moments of joy, and you may experience moments of pleasure, but you will never be filled with happiness. You see, we're only fulfilled in life when we are living how God desires us to live. And for this to even be possible, we have to do as Principle 5 says voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects. The V is voluntarily, and that is principle five. Voluntarily meaning you have to be willing. You have to be willing to let God move in every area of your life. You have to submit to every change that He wants to make with you. God has forgiven you, but now He wants to change you. He wants to mold you and shape you. See, in principle 4 that I just talked about, we admitted all these things, all these things that we've done, all these things that we're doing, all this sin that we have in our lives. And in principle 5, we start to understand why we're doing them. You see, sin is a symptom of of a character defect. It's a weed in a garden. Sin is that weed that just keeps popping back up. You try to get rid of it, and there it is. It just keeps coming. Character defects are the roots that allow the weeds to keep growing. It's that person that jumps from, and you see this all the time, jumps from bad relationship to bad relationship. They're always allowing others to just take advantage of them. See, those things are the weeds. And the character defects behind that are usually a lack of self-esteem or a lack of self-worth. See, when you think you don't deserve any better, you're willing to settle for less. And the only way to get rid of weeds, you've got to pull them out by the roots. And in principle five, God wants to come in and He wants to do some gardening. He wants to get to the source of your issue. Man, what's driving you to hurt yourself? What's driving you to do the things that are hurting other people? What's behind the reason that you feel a certain way about yourself? See, a character defect that I struggle with is pride. And I talk about this a lot in Celebrate Recovery. 
The Bible's pretty clear. In Proverbs 16, verse 18, that pride leads to destruction and arrogance to downfall. Now, translated in the CEM version, that's the Charles Edward Mock version, it means when you're being prideful, something will happen to make you look stupid. <laughs> you know, when my son was younger, we went to an event called All Pro Dads. It was created by uh, former Colts coaching great Tony Dungy, and it was, be, it was about being the best dad you could be, physically, spiritually, biblically. It was held at the Colts training complex in Indianapolis, and not only did you get to listen to these players speak, but you got to do drills with them. You got to catch passes from them. You got to throw to them. Now, unlike some of the other dads that were there, I played a little high school football. Winchester Golden Falcons. You guys probably heard of them. So I thought I was pretty good at this stuff. I kind of had an edge. Well, the following year, I go online to their website to register for this coming year's event, and I was shocked to see this. That was me attempting to kick a 10-yard field goal the year before that I missed horribly and the cheerleaders laughed at me. <laughs> this was the promotional picture that they were using for the event with a caption that said you don't have to be a great athlete to be a great dad. <laughs> God pulled that pride root right out of the garden. You see, when you see differently, you begin to act differently. Would you welcome my next guest, Ellie, to the stage? Good morning. My name is Ellie, and I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I began Celebrate Recovery after many years of recovery from substance abuse. It was in principle five that God showed me that many of my life choices and had in the past and continued were due to anger or rage. Learning to see myself as God sees me has given me the freedom and confidence that I thought only existed for other people. God has allowed me to have a deeper relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, better relationships with others. My anxiety is gone, and I have a desire to live each day in a way that brings him honor. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Ellie. Well, so far, we've discussed five ways to be happy, five ways to be blessed, and the five recovery principles that go with it. So now in principle six, this is actually based on two Beatitudes. You're getting double blessings with this one. Matthew 5, verse 7, Jesus says, Happy are the merciful. And Matthew 5, verse 8, Jesus says, Happy are the peacemakers. Now, I don't know if you've noticed... But everything so far has been about personal blessings. This one's about relational 
blessings. Principle six is evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others when possible, except when to do so would harm them or others. So principle six, this is a two-part process. First, the first beatitude, it's about being merciful. It's about offering forgiveness. We forgive those who've done us wrong. We forgive those who have hurt us. Colossians 3 verse 13 says, You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. When we are merciful to other people, we're willing to forgive them, whether, whether they deserve it or not. You see, God didn't withhold His grace from us. Why should we withhold it from others? And besides, the big thing here, you've got to understand, it's not about them. This isn't about them. This is about you when you get to this principle. This is about your recovery. This is about you finding freedom. This is about what God's doing in your life. So we forgive those who have hurt us. Second part, we make amends to those we've hurt. That's being the peacemaker. Peacemaking is all about making amends. How important was this to Jesus? In Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24, He said, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying, take care of it before you sing to me. Before you worship me. Before you give to me. Man, that sounds pretty important. But here's the thing. He knows what happens. The longer that we let things go, they just keep building up inside of us. Things start to fester. This stuff has, takes a toll on our bodies. If you've got a problem with someone, Jesus is saying, deal with it. And man up. Don't go in offering excuses. Don't attempt to justify your part of everything with them. And the big thing is, don't expect anything back. Your reward will come later. Would you welcome Gary to the stage? Hi, my name is Gary, and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with alcoholism. Well, I'd actually been clean for three years after attending rehab at Fairbanks in Indianapolis, and I was searching for a different recovery program, and my counselor told me about Celebrate Recovery. Through this program, not only have I found accountability in my life, but freedom from myself for myself by forgiving those who had hurt me and making amends for harm I had done to others, especially to my family. Little did I know that this program would eventually lead me and my family to an amazing church home where we can continue to grow as a family in our relationship with Christ. With God's power, I've been clean and sober for 11 years. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Gary. 
Next up is principle seven. Principle seven is reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and His will for my life and to gain the power to follow His will. See, this is the only principle that doesn't have a beatitude attached to it. But when you work Celebrate Recovery, when you get to this principle, you've been blessed. You would have been blessed. God will have done some amazing things in your life. You are a different person. You are seeing things differently and you are doing things differently. And this principle is all about maintaining that momentum. This is how you guard against relapse. Matthew 26, verse 41 says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, daily time with God is essential. It is to your soul and it is to your mind what exercise is to the body. If you aren't exercising, if you aren't eating properly, you're not going to get in shape. At least not the shape you want, right? Diet and exercise, it is crucial. That's how your body gets healthy. That's how your body gets strong and that's how your body stays strong. And quiet time with God works the exact same way. See, not only are you developing a deeper relationship with your Heavenly Father, and you're seeking His will for your life, but you're gaining the power to be able to follow that. Follow that will. Do whatever He's calling you to do. To go where He's calling you to go. Every single day is a fight. It really is. Every day is a fight between good and evil. And for us to be able to continue to make good choices and continue to honor God on a daily basis means we have to change the way that we do battle. Here's an example I use every year for this principle. It's like an eagle against a snake. These are both deadly creatures. They are both powerful in their own right and they are powerful in their own element, but the eagle does not fight the snake on the ground. It picks it up into the air. It changes the battleground. And then it releases the snake into the sky where the snake has no stamina. There's no power. The snake has no balance in the air. It's useless. It's weak. It's vulnerable, unlike on the ground where it's powerful. It's wise and it's deadly. See, we need to take our fight into the spiritual realm because that's where God takes over. You don't fight the enemy in his comfort zone. You change the battleground. You let God devise the strategy. You dive into his word. You plug into his power through prayer. Would you welcome Caleb to the stage? Hello, everybody. My name is Caleb. I am a believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with depression. I had actually been attending Celebrate Recovery for years at a different location before becoming the worship leader at this church. You see, depression is something I've battled for years, and Celebrate Recovery has been instrumental in my fight against it. Through Principle 7, I've learned that the more I spend time with God in prayer and focusing on His Word, His strengths, the less that I focus on my weaknesses. I tell you this today because I want you to know that hurts, hang-ups, and habits do not discriminate. 
We all need Celebrate Recovery. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thanks, Caleb. You know, when you spend time, like Caleb just said, when you spend time with God, you tend to focus on what you're thankful for. Now, this is better advice than my old man gave me. He said, if you think your cup's half empty, pour it in a smaller cup and quit your whining. (laughs) The eighth and final beatitude that Jesus gives us is Matthew 5, verse 10. He says, happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. So with this, Jesus is saying that there's a blessing when you stand up in spite of pressure, in spite of ridicule in your life, and you continue to do the things that He is calling you to do. You refuse to cave in and do as society says. We don't live our lives according to what society says. We live our lives according to what God says. You continue to honor Him. You continue to live your life for Him. And you continue to tell others about Him. That's principle eight. Yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. You see, this road, celebrate recovery, this road to recovery, it leads to service. It leads to service. When God changes our lives, He wants to then use us to carry this message of hope to other people. He chooses us to be His representatives. He chooses us to be His ambassadors, to tell the story of how He woke us up, He pulled us up, and He set us free. like my friends that have come out here and shared today. Shared their experiences because that's how you inspire other people. That's how you inspire them to look at themselves and realize that they can change. You don't have to be captive by your hurts and your hang-ups and your habits. You let God use your story because God never wastes a hurt. Would you welcome Diane to the stage? Hi, my name is Diane. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with codependency. I began coming to CR to fix my children, and pretty soon God showed me that it wasn't my kids that needed to be fixed by me, but it was me that needed to be fixed by him. Through this program, I have learned that my actions was enabling my boys to make bad choices. And that, and that the change that needed to take place had to start with me. With God's help, I laid down some rules and some hard boundaries. And now, by the grace of God, both of my children have surrendered their life to Christ. And they are continuing their own recovery. <laughs> I practice principle eight on a daily basis because I am so thankful for what God has done in my life. And I want everyone to know 
that they can also have that in their lives as well. I want each one of you to understand that you also can have that in your life as well and your families. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Diane. Well, there you have it. That is Celebrate Recovery in a nutshell, in a quick 40-minute version. But I just want to say, if you're struggling with something, and don't just accept that that's how it's going to be. Don't just accept that that's how it's got to be. I'm telling you, that is a lie from the very pits of hell. You are not trapped. You are not stuck. You know, another story that I regularly share at Celebrate Recovery is about a man at a circus. He's at a circus and he, he passes by the elephants. And he's looking at them. And he suddenly stopped because he's confused by the fact that these huge creatures were being held by only a small rope that's tied to their front legs. There's no chains There's no cages. I mean, it's obvious that these elephants could at any time break away. But for some reason, they didn't. So he saw this trainer nearby, and he asked him, he said, why do these animals make no attempt to break free? Why do they just stand there? Well, the trainer said, when they are very young and much smaller, we use the same size rope to tie them, and at that age, it's enough to hold them. And as they grow up, they're conditioned to believe that they can't break away. They believe the rope can still hold them, so they never try to break free. And this man was amazed. He's thinking these animals could at any time break away, but because they believed that they couldn't, they were just stuck right where they were at. Does that sound familiar? It's like the elephants. We, in our lives, we have a tendency to get stuck. And then we start to believe that we can't change the situation. That we can't do something different that we can't break away. We just get stuck in this hurt. We get stuck in a hang-up. We get stuck in a habit. And we start thinking, I'm never going to be able to change. I'm never going to be able to get out of this situation that I'm in. I'm never going to be able to stop doing these things that I'm doing that I'm hurting myself with, that I'm bringing hurt upon others that I love. Let me tell you, you are wrong. With this way of thinking, you are absolutely wrong. You can experience freedom because freedom is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is showing you how to do it. The blessings of recovery. He's showing you how to be blessed. He's showing you how to change. He's showing you how to find happiness. And it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. They don't determine where you go. They merely determine where you start. And it doesn't matter what you've done because you're not defined by your past. 
You are defined by your future. Man, not only can you change, but you can prosper. Man, you can have that marriage that you want. You can have that marriage that God's calling you to have. You can be that person that God is calling you to be. You can do those things that God is calling you to do, but you have to go where God is calling you to go. You know, sometimes the smallest step in the right direction ends up being the biggest step of your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Well, dear God, we, uh, we come before you this morning a room full of people that have made mistakes in our lives, that have done things that we wish we didn't, that are doing things we wish we wouldn't. We are people that have made mistakes. And we know that we are your works in progress, that you continue to shape and mold and chisel away. We're the creation. You are the creator. God, we thank you for a place like Celebrate Recovery. God, which is your path to wholeness, which is your path to freedom, which is your road to recovery. And God, for whoever that maybe you're just convicting right now, whoever maybe you're prompting in their hearts to to come this Tuesday and give Celebrate Recovery a chance, God, I just want to make it clear to them that this is a safe place. There are men and women that attend that have no idea what each other are struggling with. There are also rules in place to protect everyone's confidentiality. I just want to break any barriers there, God. And God, for whoever that you may just be reaching out to right now to make a decision, we talked about choices determine our destinies. If there's anybody you're reaching out to right now to make a decision to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ today, I just invite them right now to share this prayer with me and they can speak it out loud. They can speak it in their hearts. They can, uh, we can do as Chris always does. Everybody can speak it together. It doesn't matter. But if you're ready to be made new and you're ready to have your name written in the book of life, just repeat after me, Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask for forgiveness for the things I've done. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and was raised to bring me new life. I confess Him now as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to Him from this day forward. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to guide me from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.